Justice Studio Sessions. I am Marianne Moore, foundress of Justice Studio. During these sessions, we will be exploring the social justice themes that have emerged through Justice Studio's work, showcase grassroots activism, and deep dive into ethical and equitable research and consultancy methods. Stay tuned to learn more about the complexities of social justice and how you can turn your passion into action. Hello, dear listeners. In this episode, we're going to be talking about women in prison in Uganda. And for this episode, we're joined by the amazing Doreen N. Chaze. She is a human rights lawyer, a prison reformer, and has dedicated her life to looking after women in prison. Please be aware that in this episode, we cover some very difficult subjects. So take a break if you need to, and do take care of yourselves. With that, we'll dive in. Hello, Doreen. Hello. We've been thinking about doing this for a long time, so it's quite exciting to to have you here and and be recording you and and being able to talk about what we're going to talk about today, which is going to be women in prison in Uganda, which is not the not the nicest topic, but something that you're very expert in. And just to give a little bit of an introduction to you, you work for Prison Reform International and you also undertake your own relief work off your own back for women in prison in Uganda. And that's through your organisation, the Zebra Foundation. Is there anything else that you want to say about, about yourself and your background? Yes, I'm a lawyer and I've been working in the human rights sector for a long time as a human rights advocate focusing on the most vulnerable and I am passionate about the rights of women and children in the criminal justice system and so both individually but also through Penal Reform International I advance the rights of women looking at addressing the peculiar challenges that women and children face in the criminal justice system so I'm happy to do it either alone or to work with the organization to try and meet the needs, improve the dignity and respect that the women for the women in detention. Yeah. So I'm happy to yeah. be here to join this podcast. It's very exciting to have you. I feel like I I started going to Uganda probably I think in, from about 2009 when I was looking into children's prisons in Uganda and kind of went around for the organization that was then known as African Prisons Project, but now it's known as Justice Defenders. And I got to know Uganda, well, quickly, but kind of particularly the the child prisons quite intimately. And it's weird because I kind of always assume that I've known you since that time, but I didn't know you at that time, did I? I I'm no. actually no. I'm always unclear about when I... we actually met, but it feels like we've I've known you for ages. Yeah, I think we were in the same spaces, definitely, because we were working with African Prisons Projects in a way. We did some work with them around health. I don't know whether that was the time you were in Uganda, but you must have definitely heard about me because I was working at the time with Foundation for Human Rights Initiative. And we used to do a lot of prison work as well as work related to supporting inmates to the paralegal advisory services. 
and mm-hmm. I was particularly working on a project which was the death penalty project. So I might not have met you face to face, but I think you we might have met uh, through different partners or you might have heard about me. But if I recall, I think I first met you in London when you were working with PRI as an advisor. I think you mm-hmm. were supporting one of the projects. I didn't get to 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 to, to ask what that project yeah. was that you were supporting, but you were kind of supporting PRI with some work. And that is when we, we met and then we met again. And it was very quickly, I was quickly attached to you and yeah, you know, it was, was yeah, I quickly got attached to you and I got very interested in the way you work and, and your passion for women was really very attractive to me as a person because yeah, this is something that I am passionate about as an individual. So finding somebody who is actually really interested in making a difference for the poor women, I think that was that was it for me. It was like I needed to follow you and follow you wherever you are and, and get to learn a lot from you, yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, I think the feeling is mutual because I, I do, as I said, the, the reason why it feels like I ha- I've known you forever is because, yeah, I think once we did meet, we've just been like, just clicked because also for me, yeah. your passion for children was was really amazing and you were one of the only yeah. people that knew, you know, how difficult the situation was in some of the places that I'd been like Bali for the children and things like that and it was amazing to actually meet someone who was like yes no I've seen what you've seen and 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 I agree and and you know having those same values and so yeah yeah, we we did meet through penal reform international I think I was doing a project on best practice I was doing a manual for them about our justice best practice but then we ended up working together on some justice studio projects didn't we because we yes, worked on a yes. big safeguarding yes. project in Uganda we had yeah. the FCDO. Yeah. that's correct and that was another you know an area of interest and also interesting findings on the extreme discrimination and abuses faced by the girl child uh, in those regions where we worked uh, on the safeguarding aspects of of the evaluation of the defeat project that was a lot of learning and also knowing that you know a lot needs to be done maybe a lot has been done but a lot needs to be done to protect the most vulnerable people whether during project implementation or in communities you know there are many there are many systems and practices that are really set out to 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 discriminate women and to abuse and violate the rights of women, the macho culture. So for me, that is something that I, I am, I am, you know, even giving testimony about my own life, I think, to just empower women to say you can come out of these children to, rep- to, to fight for their rights and advocate for their rights. I think uh, it's a lot of learning and it was very interesting to see different practices whether in or outside detention and all these things kind of linked to create an environment that makes it very risky for women to survive even uh, entering into the criminal justice system that the practices within the community uh, set the stage set the pace for many girls who end up in detention. I mean it was amazing to work with you on that on that project and I do think that you're one of the people who has the biggest kind of wealth of compassion and generosity 
and yeah so anybody that works with you is, is super super lucky and you were brilliant on that program talking to all of the different stakeholders we had yes. and the women who, who didn't feel comfortable talking to other people but they would feel comfortable talking to you and mm. and you do really have a very in, inbuilt kind of sense of empathy and justice so I love working with you and I think it's going to be really interesting to hear more about your work particularly with women in prison who yes. are one of the most kind of dis well one of the one of the groups that are most kind of vilified and, and ignored or you know they misunderstood I would say and and particularly in Uganda as you say there's there's a whole load of different thing, issues that kind of keep them keep them stuck and yeah. and it would be great to talk to talk more about that so maybe if we could talk a little bit I mean I know you work for PRI and you're doing some prison mm-hmm. work but but can we talk maybe a little bit about that, but then also particularly the relief work that you're doing in prisons through the Zebra Foundation? Well, my journey with the women and with what I do in, in the Zebra Foundation really came out of my interaction with the women in prison. I remember after joining PRI, of course, I, I visited prisons. That was also before before, before and, and even during PRI, I was visiting prisons and then I learned that there is a lot of emphasis by the justice system, by the government, by even CSOs, on supporting the decongestion of prisons. But in and but the main focus was really on on the male prisoners because they are the majority in prison. So for a long time, my interaction with the women was mostly in in Kampala, in a prison called Luzira, and that prison is highly funded. I must say there are many uh, stakeholders who go into prison to support the women and many things. So you could not see many of the problems and the challenges faced by these women by just visiting the Luzira prison. But then one time I visited during my work and my interaction with the women, I was, I was, we had a small project at that time and then I interacted with the women just to create awareness about their rights and I realized we started off with a mini assessment and then I realized most of these women actually have no idea about you know their rights while in detention there was no information at all while the male my interaction with the male was that they knew a lot they knew a lot about their entitlements. They knew everything about the appeal process, about their cases, about everything. While the women had no idea about what they were entitled to as prisoners. So that was a flag. And then I also realized that the training that we had intended to conduct in English was actually difficult for us to conduct in English. We had to look at the local languages because over 90% of these women were illiterate. So that was also, you know, a trigger. And then I ended up interacting with a few women at the time, you know, on the side after the training. And I felt really, really, really hopeless at the time, I must say, because I, I felt like I was talking to them about rights, but there were critical needs that they had that we couldn't support as an organization, there was no funding for it. And at the time I had tried to knock on very many doors to try and say, you know, we need to do some work focusing on women specifically in detention. 
And I got a lot of rejections based on the fact that there were very few. And so they needed, you know, the impact had to be in numbers and explaining the, the, the kind of, of, of relationship between just one woman and the community was very hard to get through to different people. Right. So okay. what I did was that because in my interaction, I learned that access to water for most of the women prisoners was a problem. I imagine me as a girl child without water and, you know, times of menstruation, how do you manage if you don't have access to water? How do you keep clean? So which explained the high infections that women kept on telling me and pain, and especially in the reproductive area, they were suffering a lot of pain. So that I thought that, you know, we needed to do, I needed to do more than just to talk to them about their rights. Because if you don't have even a menstrual, if you don't have a pad during the menstrual period, then, you know, how is your dignity is definitely uh, affected as a woman. Yeah. So the, the mothers, some of them were challenged, you know, there was very little support for them in terms of nutrition, in terms of enough milk for them to breastfeed, clothing, you know, basins, basins. They didn't have basins and, 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 and buckets to bathe. So in, in that one prison where I went, I felt like, you know, I needed to do something, not, not, not for, you know, because I'm a woman and I needed to do things to support them to live a more humane life. Mm -hmm. Because without, without you, before I even talk about this is your right in, in terms of legal representation, this is what you need to do, this is everything, I think we needed to uh, find I needed first find a level ground of them feeling like they are human and they and and that we care about what they need at least to survive as women even if they are behind bars. Mm. So the fact that I didn't get I could not get funding for things like pads and and knickers and 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 hygiene products and and that stuff meant that I needed to to run I needed to go to friends who believe that we need to, that these women deserve the same, at least the basic necessities of a human being as a woman. Yeah. So I first went to, we do have, I have a forum of lawyers that I belong to that I posted and I said, I had to look out for what is the best time for me to raise sufficient money to support these women. So we discussed with friends and then I said, I'm like, okay, Christmas might be the best time because people are in the giving spirit. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so, and all this while I'm visiting male prisons as well. And they are so equipped. They have water tanks. They have all these, they are painted, they are spaces. They even have TVs. And I'm thinking there is no way, apart from Luzira, these other women prisons don't even have TV. So they can't contact outside, you know, talking to their uh, children and all that. So there were so many, there were very big differences between the male prisons and the women prisons. Mm. And, and so I had to do something about it as an individual. So anyway, I went on this platform, as I mentioned, I, I, I put out a card. My niece helped me come up with an e-card that was, yeah. So she came up with a card. I said, we needed a card that was attractive and, you know, that would attract people to give us money to buy these items to take to the women. And then next year we can talk about rights when at least they have 
the basics, at least for them. And so we came up with that card. We posted it on very many platforms, on social, on socials, on our socials. And the reaction was negative. Oh, really? Okay. Almost, especially lawyers. I was so disappointed when, especially on the legal platform, people came and told me, oh, you can't deal with that. Those are criminals. They don't deserve anything. You know, all of them deserve to die. Nice. And that depressed me. Mm. So in the platforms where I thought that people would understand and look at it objectively, I was getting a backlash. So I belong to this church group. So I'm, I'm like, okay, let me go to my church because we usually take donations to that church and see how maybe talk to the congregation in church. So when I went to church at the time, the church usually does prison visits. They visit prisoners, especially towards the festive season. So this time I went to them, I said, I needed to talk to the congregation to see who can give me money. I need to just buy knickers, panties, Mm -hmm. uh, a little maybe sugar, maybe soap. Soap is very important to a woman. And uh, these were challenges, even to have soap, water. We needed to get a tank for so that at least they can store the rainwater, which can help them to bathe and all that. So I was happy that the church really ran to my rescue and gave me a lot of, they, they gave me, I remember 500,000 shillings, which is about maybe $150 at the time. So that was very exciting. And then I did, I, I just asked my family and both abroad and here for support and then they came through and then I remember you also supported me and and so we we managed to come up with something so that the first time the first time we just went with the card then the next Christmas we we're like okay I think we need to solidify this and 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 I and I remember sharing these ideas with you and I'm like we, I need to do this on a charity basis because I know that not I, not many people think this is important or that these women are of any use to society. So they don't think that they deserve anything good. So after sharing my ideas with you, that is when we came up with the Zebra Foundation and it has been doing a lot of campaigning within different sex institutions, really. We target institutions that we think might be empathetic to the women uh, and so we do this once a year to try and and, 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 and and get money. But very recently, even before the year happened, this year we got a very good surprise from friends in Cornell Law School who also went and, and accepted to buy uh, pads for the women and a few materials, but the focus was on w- women in, on death row. So it was it, it, that, that is how the Zebra Foundation was created just to support with things that no other person is willing to to fund but which i think are very uh, are core to a person to a woman and those are the things that we through the zebra foundation those are the things that i want to continue doing even if they don't i don't get paid for it or for doing any of that it's simply just to to ensure that the dignity of the of the woman in detention is is preserved well, this speaks to your your big heart and 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 how much you care, which is really lovely and yeah. and it's good 
you know, that, that you have been able to do this even alongside your work without getting paid and all of this kind of stuff. Although I hope that one day you will be able to get paid because you definitely do need to be compensated and looked after in that way as well. I remember us thinking of the name it was really fun we had a great meal weren't we? We were yeah during our safeguarding project and we were we were discussing what would be the best name given that you loved the sufferers <laughs> and so it kind of made, made sense <laughs> that's true <laughs> it, it it was a perfect fit because i love zebras yeah so i'm like yeah it was a perfect, perfect name yeah. So maybe we'll talk, we can talk a bit about for the people that don't know prisons in Uganda, they're very different from UK prisons. And for example, when I first went to Uganda, I was kind of quite surprised because they, they were very, very different. I mean, most of the UK prisons are in, in kind of high buildings behind high fences. People are inside and it's it's quite kind of electronic. And I was surprised when I went to Uganda to see just in general how the prisons there are, they're much more outside focused. So you have kind of large areas of outside space where people will kind of hang around and then you have smaller outbuildings where people will sleep and they will have to sleep in shifts sometimes depending on what kind of prison is and, and how much capacity they have. But in general, people are walking around people all wear distinctive uniforms there's a specific most of them wear yellow yes most of them wear yellow if they're on death row they wear orange and if they're debtors they wear a pink or blue stripes yeah so it kind of you really see who what people are in for which is this real mm -hmm. visual reminder but you also see people working in fields in these uniforms and mm -hmm. all of the different prisons are slightly set up in a different way so particularly as you go into the countryside there'll be people who are in the prison but they'll be working in the fields or you know you see you see people around and they don't they don't I was always surprised that there was no kind of big gates and things like that that it was generally people were just hanging around the prison where they were and of course you see massive regional differences according to the place you know when I was looking particularly in detail at children's prisons I saw such differences between the west the north and the east and 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 the center and and you've seen that in women's prisons too and I think we'll go into that but one of the key things I think which is important is how the overall prison system works in Uganda can you tell us a bit about that and just kind of where the women fit or don't fit into this overall structure of the system Okay, so maybe I give a little bit of background of the prisons. So before a few, uh, maybe more than 10 years or 15 years ago, uh, the prison system was kind of divided. We had the prisons, we had prisons that were managed by uh, the government, central government, and we had prisons that were managed by the local governments. So, and that depended on where the prison was. So most of the local government prisons were really farm prisons. Prisoners were mainly minor offenders who would go in and then they would be managed by local government and then they would work the fields. Those are the kinds of prisons. But eventually, this, the, 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 the local government prisons have since been taken up by the central government. So now we have a, 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 an established institution that manages prisons all over, with the exception of the, the children detention centers 
those ones are managed under the Ministry of Gender and Local Government. And although they keep, there is no separate institute center for the girls. So all the, they are mixed, the, the children, their detention centers are mixed. And there's usually just one room allocated to the girls. But in, the, in terms of the main administrative, main prisons under the Uganda Prison Service, that one has both male and female prisons. The prisons themselves, they're both women-only prisons, but they're also prisons that are mixed depending on location. So most of the upcountry prisons, especially in far areas, are really mixed. They're mixed prisons, although they are separate, like, units, a separate unit attached to the male prison where the women are kept. So if we look at the way our, our Prisons Act is, 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 is I, I don't know if you, you're familiar with that law, you see that when they're talking about them, it's mainly talking about prisoners. Generally, there is no very, a lot of specific provisions focused on women. Mm-hmm. This this goes through until the planning and budgeting purposes. So under the Prisons Act, there are some specific provisions like the woman, the women prison should be manned by women and, and really in practice they are manned by women. Very little is, is, is given in, to the women. For example, while the male prisons, most of them across the, across the board have farms, most female prisons don't have land where they can like till they have they, because they were just cut off and identified from the male prisons you find that the male section the male the male prison has very big chunks of land and the, the, the what you saw the compound is the only thing that the female prison has they don't have like huge chunks of land to allow creativity for activities and all that no most of them have got very little space for, for, for activities and for work and all those things. And so even the female officers, most of them are, reside in the male size section of the, of the prisons, for most of the prisons. So, so what, what happens is that for a long time, because, because of this, and, and, and women are just, they're also not very demanding. We are naturally not demanding, I think, as African women. So they just stick with the condition. And I've met many that, that especially there are some, especially the health and hygiene is, is the most neglected because the budget is, is, is for the whole prison. And so this very reproductive and health aspects for the women are mostly forgotten, rehabilitation. So all that, you, you'd find that the male rehabilitation activities are really meaningful. And yet for most of the girls and, and the women in, in detention, there's not much to do while there for the entire period of their stay. Well, a few of them here and there have sewing machines, which I personally don't, don't, don't really like because they, they are really cut out based on our traditional role. My mother used to knit and used to knit and also make baskets, used to knit some cloth for the chair for the chairs. So these are the things, but they used not to earn money from them, meaningful money. It's the same thing now. So, and even the sewing machines, the materials are not there, but the men are doing big things like carpentry, like metalworks, bricklaying, things that, you know, once they leave 
prison. They are going to really be able to live, to survive. Women, on the other hand, because they only have one sewing machine and a friend teaching them how to make hair, if they are lucky, and then there is no libraries. Most of the male prisons have very well set up with libraries, with teachers, with edu even education. There is the adult literacy education program in the prisons. But when I started working in the prisons, except Luzira prison, which is the main female prison, the rest didn't have this program. And yet majority, of, there are more women than men who are illiterate. So there is a lot of, 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 of discrimination in that sense, in terms of the services, where they go. And it might be knowingly or unknowingly done, but it's mainly focused on the numbers. And so this is what women and girls, it's even worse for the girls when it comes to the children detention facilities. Because, again, there is nothing for them. The girls usually have the, 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 a very little group, no matter the number of, of girls. They have a very little room where they are kept and then spend all their time idle. So, yeah. But the prison, the prison leadership here is very open to contributions from outsiders. That's the good thing. And they welcome new ideas. The challenge is to secure resources to support these programs for the women. That is where the challenge is, because most of the actors feel that they, they will not have such a high impact focusing on programs for the women and the children. And yet right now we have the number of children in, in detention is also increasing. So, and there's no budget for the, for the children also, because they are not prisoners, so they are not budgeted for. There is no budget for women who come in as civil datas. So those ones also have to look at the, after themselves while in detention. So the, it's a big challenge, especially because most of the women come, don't, they are poor. They would not, their relatives actually fear prisons. Some of them I've interacted with say, I cannot be visited because people think they would be imprisoned when they come to see me. So all they come, because the prisons, female prisons are also very few, some are not visited because the, the prison is very far from their home. So the people don't have the money to transport them to that prison. So, and, and, and yet the families, you would say that the families could help supplement meals or com, com, provide them with some of the necessities, but they can't make it. They can't simply afford the, 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 the travel costs. So the women are left alone. Yeah. And actually, according to them, many of them feel that they are rejected. I am rejected. I've heard that a lot. It breaks my, my heart every time I hear it. Uh, but that is how they feel. Yeah. Rejected by everybody, not just society, yes. but their family and everyone. Yeah. So I know that there's different, there are different kind of cohorts of women in the different areas of Uganda. You were, you were telling me about how in certain regions you see more women in for certain crimes and there are mm. different kind of mm. issues for them. Can you maybe tell us a bit about the different regions and, and what you've seen in each one? Mm. So from my, you know, interaction with most of these women, they're, 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 they're different 
reasons why most of them are in prison, and they vary depending on 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 their on where they come from. For example, the northeastern part, which is the 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 the, the the Karamoja region and the eastern and border districts, uh, sorry, and the border, the Karamoja region and northern region, most of the women are in detention for either murder, as on capital offenses, really, murder, as on attempted murder and things like that. And then in those particular regions, also domestic violence and violence against women is at the highest in those regions. So for the many women that we have, I have interacted with, we the high levels of mental disabilities or mental disorders. One of the highest is is depression. There's depression, but there's also bipolar disorders, schizophrenia, because we 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 have engaged now experts, psychiatrists, to help us assess these women before we can we can do anything. So in the northern region, there is that. And most of them, they, they have killed their husband, their brother-in-law, their father-in-law. It's a relative that they have killed for those that have mm-hmm. killed. And, and there is one reason or the other that, for example, wife inheritance is a, a big source of, of fights. And then the other one is the, the, the husband wanting, in, in that culture, while the women work very, very hard, the men are supposed to receive and distribute the resources out of the women's efforts or the women's work. Then the, the, male, the, the men are the ones responsible for, 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 for selling the pro- produce, for example, from the farm. But then when they sell, for many, they acquire a new wife. Oh, right. So these are their domestic issues, and for, for, for the women, they are protecting their children. But also in, in that region, there's a lot of child marriages. At 13, 14, the girls are married off. Actually, there are girls that are married from the age of 12 to, to men, who most of the time are already having other women. So this little girl comes in and is unwanted by the wife one, wife two, who have now grown and become something. So that is also one of the the reasons for many of them that have come. Some of them, they've given birth, they are charged for murder and convicted for murder, but they gave birth as children and they didn't know how to look after the children themselves. So if a child dies in certain culture, no matter how they've died, and there's no explanatory, there's no reason to explain the circumstances of the death, and you're the mother and you're in the room, you've definitely killed the child. I have interacted with a girl who was married at in Karamoja, and then the, the, she gave birth. She never got a menstrual period. Many of them who come from that region say, I gave birth, I didn't see my menstrual period. I didn't see my period, I just gave birth. So they get married even before their menstrual, their, they menstruate. So so she gave birth and then the baby died and then she feared the community and then threw the baby in the in in, in, a, in a nearby water and then the baby was oh. found and that is why she ended up in prison so there are many reasons like that that one they're uneducated most majority of these girls are uneducated and so they start their journey because they, they it's the families that lead them into prison most of them their families have pushed them into prison especially the men. The men 
lead their partners. One, sometimes they need the land and the, the woman is too strong and refusing to have the land sold off. Or it is, I need to acquire a second wife and you're rejecting the second wife or third wife or whatever wife. So it's, it's, it, there's a lot of violence and domestic violence and reasons. And also alcoholism is very high in the northern and northeastern part of the, of the country and, and drug addiction. So the men drink heavily. And then they come home and they, they, are, they, also very, they are very abusive. They beat the women. And so for this one time when the women fight back, sometimes you're fighting a, a man who is also drunk. And maybe the, the, the energy you've used at the time could be a lot. And so the person dies. So it's a lot of domestic violence in that region that really leads people. Uh, the other women that are in the Western parts, there is a lot of... Uh, what I would call loan sharks. Many women are now entering prison on obtaining money by false pretense and uh, debtors, as debtors. There's a huge number of women coming in as debtors. These are women who are met. They have the, 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 loan, the lenders go to them while they're in the farms and they offer them these small loans. So according to them, they, they tell them once they sell their produce, they can probably pay back. These are the women, they don't get any interpreters or anybody reading the agreement to them. So they, they, they sign agreements without even reading them or having anybody to represent them. So for many, especially during COVID, there was a lot of defaulting because at the time, the produce was not being transported to Kampala because of the suspensions. So a lot of things stayed on the farm. So some, some, because of that, they wanted to restructure their loans, and, but then there was no opportunity given to them. At that point, they are told that you've defaulted, and then the loan is tripled or even quadrupled to them. And then these loan sharks take them to prison. They ask them to pay for their time in prison because they are not prisoners per se. So you have to look after yourself in prison. So they are told by the loan sharks they have to look after themselves in prison. So the time a data spends in prison is no more than six months. After that, you're supposed to leave. So unfortunately for these women, when they leave, the loan sharks come up with a new charge, which is now a criminal one, obtaining money by false pretense. So you've served the six months and then you go back for another period of time. And the sad bit is that not, it's not that the actual debtors are the ones who go. Even when you are <clears throat> a witness on on a loan, like you're also you're also imprisoned if if the person that you've seconded to get that loan defaults. So there are also many women who are there because they seconded, because their husband got a loan, because their friend got a loan, things like that. But while there, they've lost everything. They, 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 their lenders take everything that that they they had, but they still have to serve the time while in detention. So the big, and that is mostly in the Western part, Mbarara, Bushenyi, that area. It's very, very disheartening to, to, to hear how people are preying on, on the poor and the illiterate because they don't write anywhere in the loan when they are paying back. The problem, the other thing is that they pay back, they, they, they sign this thing and then they are told you're supposed maybe to pay $20 a month. But that $20 they pay every month is not recorded anywhere. It's not receipted. Right. So if the loan shark 
doesn't like you, he can wake up and, and this has happened to many women. And he says, this is, you, you haven't paid your loan. So horrible. So then they, they triple the loan because you have no proof to show that you've been paying back. Yeah. So that, that has been a big, big problem. And also for the central region, it's the same thing. There are many economic crimes now that women are in prison for. Yeah, and I and I think this is this is it, it feels so kind of Kafkaesque and and horrible the idea that you would kind of a, a trap that they completely can't get out of that every kind of road is and and door is shut in their face and they're being kind of caught up in this web of trickery and and exploitation. It's mm. yeah, it's very scary. And you said that there's not very much no, knowledge about these civil debtors as well, isn't there? Yes, there's not much knowledge about civil debtors because when most of us go to prison, we count we count prisoners. They they're just looked at as a side individuals that they manage in these regions actually most of the people are they are they are their cases are heard by local government not even the courts so the system they're not they're not really known into this in the system and that is why it's very easy to bring them back as as on charges of obtaining money by false pretense because the initial decision to imprison them for six months was made by by the local government courts, especially in, in, in Western Uganda. It's the local government uh, court that decides to imprison them for as debtors. So they're not known in the system. Otherwise, they would it would it would be easy for them to be traced. But there's no uh, particular connection between the local government courts and the and the, the, the mainstream uh, court system for, for, for someone to be able to identify that this person has been here on the same charges. Uh, and just twisting the, changing the, the, the offense. So that is the dilemma that these women are in. Um, and they're frustrated. And then many children, it's pathetic how we, we, we do these things and children have lost, they're not in school. They've lost all their property. They have nowhere to go. They've lost their jobs. So, yeah. It, it, it it's something that I feel as policymakers, but also the, the our governments need to to intervene to protect these these vulnerable women to control and uh, monitor uh, money lenders because money lenders are private uh, institutions. They're not they're not really also managed by our central bank central bank. They are private. Even me, I can wake up tomorrow and I declare myself a money lender. That is the problem. They are not regulated really properly. Let's talk a bit about about women who who have babies with them in prison because that's quite prevalent, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's very common um, for women to be in prison with babies and also to give birth in prison. Those who come in as pregnant people. Because the largest population of, of women in prison is between 18 and 35. All those are child, that's a childbearing um, age group. So we have lots of, of children in, in prison. Those also have their own challenges. I, I must say that the, the prison has tried to, especially the specific institutions where there are women only prisons, you see that they support, they, they, they do provide certain uh, uh, privileges or services to the mothers but then there are challenges in terms of feeding 
clothing, those are usually given by well-wishers if you, if you want to give them because <clears throat> the general prison budget doesn't budget for children. Mm -hmm. doesn't, sorry, the, the budget doesn't provide for these children needs because these are not prisoners. So they are not, they are not, they are not really to be, to be, to, they're not included on a human level or humane level or administrative level. They individually institute the various prison administrators try and, and, and do provide some extra supplements like food or like milk. They do try, but it's not, it's, it's, it's not adequate, but they try to put up like vegetables and things if they've given birth and all that. So when the women are to give birth for those that are pregnant, they have to go to the government prisons, most of them, ex except in, in Luzira. Luzira, they have a nice maternity ward, but others, they're taken to nearby prisons. And some of the challenges is that when they get to some of those institutions, they don't get sufficient like medication and all that because the budget there is for the community. So it's hard to be a prisoner in this country. So the, <clears throat> if the officers in charge don't meet the costs out of their pockets, then they are in problems. Yeah, and also for some of the very far prisons, there's no like social worker attached. And, and I think the social workers are attached to the male prisons. And so there's very little support to the mothers after delivery or the mothers in prison. But they're doing the best they can. I think I can see that in terms of the administration itself. It's just that there's not much resources to deal with, to allocate or to distribute among the, the mothers. And it's always that difficult question, isn't it, of, of, you know, if the children weren't with the mothers in prison, then they, they may be completely alone without anyone to look after them. And so it's that, that difficulty. You know, it goes back to the, 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 the stigma and the discrimination faced by women while, once they enter in prison. I know of many, many times we've met women who even their children are beyond the time they can be kept in prison. Because the children are supposed to leave prison by the age of two, latest. But then there are these children who, many of them, they stay a bit longer because the family would not take them. Mm -hmm. The children of, 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 a, of a woman in prison are, are really rejected, even in the families. They are not, they are not looked at as people for most of them. So they are not taken up. There are many that have now been taken up by charities. There are, there are children homes that are taking many of these mm -hmm. pre, with babies, young babies, and taken to those children homes. Now the challenge is there is no, once the child is taken from the mother and taken to that foster care home, for example, the child normally never ever gets the opportunity to see the mother again. And even when the mother leaves prison, there is no way to trace because they're not involved in the discussion of, of, of where the children will go. The welfare will take the child and take them to the home and then the mother will never know and could leave prison, go wherever, and then that's it for the child. My goodness. So, wow. They just won't ever know. So, so they have lost their children if, they, if they're in prison, even if they came in with them for the first few years, they they will then lose them. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I, there, there are also children that now end up being alone in the home. They'll be lucky if they have a little sibling who is 
maybe seven years. I remember there is one prison where we could find the 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 the, the, the prisoner could keep her food and not eat it. Uh, and her children used to come to the prison gate every day. And so she would give them the food that had been given to her yes. for that day to, to feed because the children were not so far from the prison. So they were alone. One of I, the, one of the, the, the little boy was about five and then the other one was like three and, and a little, I think two year old. And they, they used to come to prison every day she had to stay hungry so that she can feed them god or no wonder it's heartbreaking isn't it your work this is horrible yeah yeah so it's it, it, it's really depressing here yeah. that i've seen of, of, of mothers being in detention on the children it, it, it's just terrible because most of them have ended up the girls especially they end up getting married they drop out of school, they end up getting married. The boys drop out of school, they, they start roaming the streets. And so, and the story continues. It's just a vicious cycle. Yeah, there is a woman whose two sons ended up in, because she's on murder and she has been there for about 12 years. I think two years ago, her two sons joined her in prison. So she left them alone. They started running around and doing all sorts of things. They joined her because they got arrested? Yes. Oh, gosh. I know that one of the things that you're working towards next is is looking more about reintegration and, and rehabilitation kind of outside of prison. Can you tell us a bit more about that? that final process or yeah so for many women we have learned that reintegration is another hurdle it is a very very difficult process for a woman once they enter prison still because of the stigma we have in the cultures i think culturally women are not supposed to 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 offend they were never known to be in, in involved in crime it is very easy for a man to leave prison and be welcomed back in the family. We have faced a lot of difficulty to reunite uh, women with families or to resettle them back in the families they knew before they were in prison. We've had to find, and, and, and interestingly, even shelters that provide support for women who are abused, domestic violence survivors, they don't, they don't welcome a woman with a, who has just been released from prison. Mm-hmm. And so it's, 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 it's a nightmare to be a woman who has gone through a pri- the prison system. This has been the most daunting task now. It's also the, the, the hardest that we have to do going forward is that we have to relocate these women to, to places they've never known. Because, uh, for example, we had a girl from Karamoja who three days to her release we had gone and interacted with the family and everything and then the family the three days they released the local the, the, the local leader called and said you can't bring her back here she's going to be killed so three days to her release so we are like okay where are we taking her she's leaving prison with nothing she has no money she has no home she has no family her children have disappeared 
where are we going to place this woman? So we had to look for an alternative home in the interim and pay for it so that the woman can have housing. Otherwise, she would live to the streets right back where she started off. And then we had to, 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 to look for the children wherever they had disappeared to. So she had to hunt, but she could not go back to, the, to, to her home. So we need to support the reintegration because it's, that is not the only one. We have many women that we've had to cross lines, cross areas, and we are, you know, they're not wanted where they came from. And it's not about those that committed murder or something. It's just any offense, any offense, even if it's a minor offense like assault or afraid, they usually, they lose their jobs, they lose everything. A woman loses everything when they enter prison. And the, and the horrible thing is, is they, they didn't have much to start with as well. It kind of, you know, all of the stories that you've told of, of all of these women and the horrible circumstances, being married at 12 and domestic violence and being so in poverty that you need to go to loan sharks and these kinds of things, you know, they, they've come from incredibly difficult circumstances. And when you think about their offences in these contexts, you can, it makes sense. It's, you know, it, it's not so easy to just label somebody by their offence. You have to acknowledge and understand the background that they've come from. And then, yeah, and then in prison, it's horrendous and they don't even have water and places to wash and and then they lose their children and then they can't even go back to their communities. I mean, you're right. It is. It's a complete, a complete nightmare from the beginning to the end. And it's horrendous. My, my, my wish, if I could, if we could establish like a halfway home, a meaningful halfway home for these women, I think it would be a springboard for, for them to start a new life because yeah. um, many of them, they, they, they will, it will be their only avenue for them to get some sort of uh, empowerment and, and hope to restore their hope that they are meaningful human beings and that they are wanted and that they are mothers and that, you know, they, they are important to this world. Because as it is, by the time they, many of them, before we started working, they were living in prison with, with, with no hope. Hmm. They don't have anywhere to go. They don't have anyone who wants them. They are, they've come in with nothing and they're living even worse because even the contacts, their friends might have moved. So there's no starting point. And that is why many of them don't, don't even live long. It's hard for them to, to survive for years after prison because they, 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 they have nowhere to go. They start running around and, and doing all sorts of things, but they, they, it's, it's, it's a hopeless situation for a woman who has entered the system. So if we, can, if we can find a midway for them to kind of get the support they need to be empowered, that is my, my, my dream now. Because if they're not, a, who can support them through the experiences of trauma and violence, they need that support. A lot of it before and after their time in prison because many of them have suffered a lot of violence uh, and abuse and, and things like that. So they need a lot of support, but they need to be in a space where they're not judged because in these centers, many of them are judged because they have this record. 
and they're denied from accessing some of the of, of the of the support that they would need to help them. So they resort back to to the habits, maybe alcohol, alcohol, a lot of alcoholism and and drug and drug addiction, because it's the only way they can deal with that pain that nobody is willing to help them through it. The the amazing thing that you're doing is you're giving more hope and you are showing the women that they are important and giving a little bit back to them so that they don't feel so rejected by everybody. And that's such an amazing thing to do. So, I mean, I'm just I'm just constantly in awe of what you're you know, what you're going through when you're when you're supporting these women and, and how deep your heart is and and how and how much amazing stuff you're doing so I just very very much admire you and and all of the work and I think that everybody listening to this also will just be like you know kind of you know draw jaw dropping me I mean it's it's just heartbreaking the things that you've told us about and I'm sure that people will want to find out more about what you're doing and support your work so is there are there, are there ways that people can support your work and, and can they give to your Christmas giving? I think our my our core needs as, uh, to support the women in prison is uh, on menstrual health and reproductive health. If I could, we, we could get support in terms of pads. Pads are very important. If we could get clothing for babies and uh, maybe support towards uh, milk, for the children, for the mothers, they need knickers. Knickers are very important for the women. And and I would I heard about menstrual menstrual knickers. So those would do wonders for the women in this part of the world because they can be yeah period pants because they can be washed and they so they would have they would have a double meeting at like the problem both of lack of knickers and pads at the same time. So I think. Also, if people want to, I mean, to do, to donate money as well, we can leave a, a link, can't we, to your to your PayPal or something like that in in the show notes that where people could make a, a monetary donation as well, because obviously there's a, a big it can be difficult to send things directly, but of course you you're welcoming that, and and then if people are able to give money as well, that would be great. And so, what does the what does the what does the future hold for you now? What are you, what are your next steps at the moment? Well, I, for me, I'm going to continue advocating for the rights of women, especially the women at risk groups, who, with, with whom I consider disadvantaged, and I, I would continue being their voice. I'll con- I'm going to continue supporting them personally through my my own foundation, Zebra Foundation, but also through my work with Pinot Reform International. We recently got support from UNODC to do some rehabilitation work. We are very, very grateful, and we know that that will support a few women. We need more money, but for me, I'm going to continue advancing the rights of women in whatever spaces and opportunity spaces I get. I am going to continue advocating for more people to, to have targeted responses that are tailored to meet the needs of women so that we can ensure that if we are advancing gender equality and, and addressing discrimination, then it has to be discrimination and, and support and equality for everybody. Uh, I, as human beings, we are all born free and equal. So in order to advance equality, we cannot 
disenfranchised or discriminate against women according to where they are at, at, the, at a certain point in their lives. I believe people make mistakes and maybe people are in detention for mistakes, but I also know from working with women that there are many innocent women who are detained because of the macho culture that we have in our country. So I will continue advocating for individual women, but also women collectively until the system changes. And where I stop, I hope other people can carry on and, and offer the support that these women need. I think one of us or all of us has to start, but it, it requires a collective effort for us to make change. It has, we, I have come from very far to a point where nobody was listening, and I'm grateful that now it is a subject for discussion in this country and now East Africa. So if it's an, it should be an African problem. It should be everyone's problem to ensure that equality is for everyone, no matter their, their status in society. We cannot discriminate people because of their, their poverty. I think as a, as a country, we, we fail if we, if we cannot support the most in need. Completely. Well said. Well said. Amazing, amazing. And here, here. And yeah, I'm with you all the way. Uh, amazing work that you're doing. And is there any way that people can follow you personally if they want to hear more about your work? Are you on social media that, that people can follow? Yes, yes. I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. My Twitter handle is Doreen NK at zebra74848002. Okay, so Twitter is the best place. Yeah, I, and also LinkedIn. I use LinkedIn here and there, not, not very much. I'm also on LinkedIn as Doreen Chazze, yes. Okay, well, Doreen, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. You're so amazing. As I said, I just am constantly in awe of your, generous, your generosity and all of the work that you do and how much you deeply care for women and children in Uganda and and everything that you do and you know even in your personal life as well how much you give and so thank you so much for being here today and for talking to us in much more detail about these women and I do hope that it will lead to some more support for you because you really do deserve it and yeah I hope you have a wonderful a wonderful day and it's great to see you again. Thank you it's good to see you again and thank you for all the support over the years and I look forward to continuing working with you and relating with you for the guidance and everything. We, I am very, very grateful. Thank you for listening to Justice Studio Sessions. We have so enjoyed deep diving into social justice with you. Justice Studio provides compassionate consultancy rooted in social justice. If you would like to work with us, please visit our website at www.justicestudio.org or email us at info at This podcast relies on your support. If you love our content and would like to see this podcast reach more people, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating or leave us a lovely review. We would be delighted for you to share your thoughts, musings, or favourite parts of the podcast with us on social media. You can tag and or follow Marianne at creatrix.london 
and Justice Studio at Justice Studio on all the major social sites. This podcast was hosted by Marianne Moore and produced by Justice Studio Limited. The music was by Luke Fraser at The Tonic and the artwork was by Marianne. Thank you so much for listening.